Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Steve Wright, and we're going to talk about how to create high-quality videos with nothing but your smartphone. Trust me, if you are recording reels, TikToks, any kind of video with your smartphone, you are going to want to pay attention to today's show because you're going to learn a lot from an amazing filmmaker who knows how to do this kind of stuff. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our amazing future content coming your way. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Steve Wright. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Steve Wright. If you don't know who Steve is, you need to know Steve. He's a videographer who helps aspiring creators understand how to create a career with video content creation. His YouTube channel is amazing. It's called Learn Online Video. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to sharing some tips. I'm looking forward to you sharing some tips too. And what we're going to explore today is how to create quality video with nothing but that little thing in your pocket, <laughs> a smartphone. Now, I would love to hear your story, your backstory, because I know it's fascinating. So how'd you get into video? Start wherever you want to start. Okay, well, I'll rewind quite far for this because I think it's important for everyone to kind of get a bit of context, but I'll skim over the early stuff. I got given, I say I got given, I, um, I basically stole the family camcorder when I was about nine years old and became 
quite obsessed with it, if I'm honest, <laughs> in a good way. Um, I was just really passionate about filmmaking and video production when I was, was younger. And that lasted throughout my teenage years. I used to make short films and stop motion animation videos in my, in my bedroom. And it was always just for a bit of fun, a, a hobby. Then I went to college and I traveled the world for five years then came back and realized I need to sort my career out, <laughs> but never actually thought about doing anything to do with filmmaking or video production as a job because it was much harder back in my day. You know, it was, it was television or film, really. The internet wasn't really around. And I came back and I went to university and did a master's degree in television production with the big dream of becoming a TV director in London. I graduated with my master's degree, worked in television for about 12 months. And this was a funny year. This was a two, in 2008, so a couple of years just after YouTube had launched. And for me, the landscape was changing drastically. You know, YouTube was going from somewhere where you post a cat video <laughs> to somewhere where businesses and brands were now investing their marketing budget. And I'd been working in television for about 12 months. Just out of curiosity, were you on the reality television, documentary television, or more like the television drama? What, what kind of stuff were you involved with? I started from the bottom and I was basically trying to work my way up. I literally thought if I graduate with a master's degree, I'm just going to get, get a, a directing job straight away. Not the case at all. <laughs> it's very, very competitive, especially here in England and, and in London. There are people that are willing to work for free for 12 months just to get a foot in the door. Wow. I ended up being a very small cog in a very large wheel. I worked on a few different shows. The one that really sort of springs to mind was <laughs> is a, a TV show. I don't know whether you get this in in America, but it's called The Hotel Inspector. And it's where... Um, is it a drama or a comedy or what is it? It's a reality show. So they basically take a very rundown hotel that isn't doing very well, failing drastically, and they send an expert in and they give it a full once over. They, it's a, I guess it's a bit like... Um, Gordon Ramsay does. Exactly. It's very, very similar to that. Very similar to that. I was, wor I was working for this show. I had what still to this day is one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. And that was I had to cold call hotels with really bad reviews and then try and pitch them the idea of being on a TV show. <laughs> and you can imagine the, the, some of the responses that I got. You know, it, it's really quite offensive, isn't it? To go, hey, how you doing? Yeah, just calling up because I heard your hotel's terrible. And I wondered if you'd like <laughs> someone to come in and fix it for you. <laughs> I, f I forget exactly my script, which I used to read to try and pitch them this idea. But I'd say 80% of people probably hung up on me and were, were deeply offended. But the odd few were very grateful and they were aware that their business was failing and they were welcoming to the idea of someone coming in to fix it for them. So Okay, so you got involved with reality television after you got your master's degree and you realized it wasn't what it was shaked up to be, it sounds like. So then what happened? So then I realized, like I said, the landscape was changing. I felt like, it felt a little bit like television was dying, if I was honest. It felt like I was seeing incredible content turning up on YouTube and social media. And that was the type of content that I wanted to create. I wanted to create short, impactful videos for brands and businesses. So. I left television. I quit. I quit. <laughs> I gave up on the dream of being a film or TV director, and um, it just no longer became my passion. I went all in on online video, took a big loan out because I had no equipment, didn't even own a camera at the time, and I set up a video production company which specialized in creating 
videos for brands and businesses. Were hotels part of your lineup? I did. I did. I did a few <laughs> hotels actually. The, okay. big, the big one at that at that time, which was about two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, was that most businesses back then they had a website, but it was just pictures and text. And the way I would pitch to a lot of these brands is, I'd say, you need a video. You need a video on that homepage of your website because people are expecting information and they're expecting it fast these days. That they don't want to have to read and look at pictures. If you can just press play on a video and have everything explained to them. That's how you're going to grab their attention. And it worked really well. I did that for 10 years. I, I ran a video production company for 10 years. That's exactly what I did. I offered short form videos for, for brands and businesses for their website and social media. And that did well and did that for 10 years. And basically, whenever I did any bit of work that I thought was worthy of sharing, I would share it on my own personal social media pages. And, and what happened then was that my friends were sharing those videos with other people with within their groups. And then that was how I was getting a lot of business. Businesses were then contacting me and saying, we love what you did for such and such. Can you do exactly the same for us? And there, were, there wasn't many people offering what I was offering back then, these kind of short form style videos. And the people that were offering this were charging an absolute fortune. It was television production companies that were doing these corporate videos, but they were sending in you know, a, a director, a researcher, a sound guy, an, an editor. So the cost of these things was, was astronomical. And then I was coming in as a bit of a run and gun filmmaker. I could shoot, I could edit, and I could offer basically the exact same thing for a fraction of the cost. The company did quite well. Then quite quickly after that, other companies, competitors started, started setting up. But I, I felt like I just got ahead of that curve with that one. And then I did that for 10 years. And two people used, used to call me up, two types of people. Number one was a business saying, we've seen what you've done for such and such. Can you do the same for us? And then I started getting emails and calls saying, can you teach me the art of video. I, I like what you're doing. I like these short form videos and I, I want to do the same. Do you do one-on-one -on -one training? Do you do any coaching or anything like that? And I didn't at the time. And to be honest, it didn't really excite me doing sort of one-on-one -on -one training or, or small group workshops. I just felt like that would be very repetitive. I'd have to teach people something for a few days and then do exactly the same the next week. And I thought I would much rather reach more people. You know, you're very limited if you do those sort of small workshops. There's only so many people that you can, you, you can help. So I thought, well, being a fan of online video, I thought, well, surely the best way to do this is, is online. So that was when I, I launched the YouTube channel, Learn Online Video. And I just started posting free content, free videos, in sharing knowledge, sharing everything that I knew, everything I knew I just wanted to share. What year was that when you started that channel? I started that channel in 2017. Tell everybody how it's grown. For those that aren't watching the video, we see a gold YouTube play button behind you and everybody who doesn't understand, you get the silver one when you hit 100,000, you get the gold one when you hit what number? One million. <laughs> so you just surpassed 1 million subscribers on your channel recently, right? Yeah, just last month, we surpassed 1 million. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Uh, just, to, just to give you a, a quick uh, rundown of the last five years, I, I set up the YouTube channel in 2017 and basically did what 99% of YouTubers do, and that is post a few vi few videos. They don't get the views or you don't get the subscribers that you, you, you hope you will, and um, you, you deem YouTube a failure. It doesn't work. Why would I keep posting videos? No one watches, no one subscribes. So I posted in the first 12 months, two videos, and I, I kind of thought YouTube doesn't work. But then what happened is one of those videos that I posted about six months later went viral. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, it's, it's going all over the place. And I, I couldn't believe that this thing that I'd created six months ago, 
I was now reaping the rewards of it six months later. And I thought, if only I'd carried on making videos over the last six months, I'd now have a huge archive that could all potentially be going viral. And that completely changed my mindset. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to keep posting videos, regardless of how many people are watching them, in hope that whether it's in a month or a week or a year or however long, eventually these videos will take off. And then year two, I post, I was definitely more consistent and I, I grew up maybe 1,500 or 1,700 subscribers. But then come sort of 2020, when the pandemic hit and everyone was locked indoors, looking to be either entertained or educated, I now had a big archive of free educational content. And it just so happened that people were looking for that type of content. And it, it blew up in, in year three, I grew by about 350,000 subscribers, the same again the next year. And yeah, like I say, we surpassed uh, a, a million last month and it, it just keeps growing. Well, congratulations, first of all, on your success. And it's an amazing story, Steve. Your background, obviously, ever since you were a little kid was with video, you live and you breathe video. And obviously, you know, you've had now your moment, right? Like, you know, looking back, you wanted to be in television. Now you realize, man, you've got something potentially so much larger, you know, and I think it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people listening right now that are scared of video. And there's a lot of marketers that are in my audience that understand that video is where it's all going, right? We've got Instagram moving almost completely to video. We've got Facebook moving to video. We've got TikTok, which is only video. We've got YouTube, which is only video. And, and almost all these videos can be created with this little thing in your pocket, right? Your smartphone, right? Exactly. So why is it that smartphone video is so important today as we're recording this in late 2022? Well, video in general is really, really important. I'll go into why specifically smartphone video is so important, but video is king. Video is one of the most versatile forms of communication. I mean, it really is. It, it's visual, it's sound, and you can read it. You can have text in video. So uh, you could watch video with the sound off and you can still receive information. You, you can read, you can listen, you can see, you can do anything with video. A bit, a bit like this podcast, for example, right? Some people are listening, some people are watching. I don't know what you're going to do with this afterwards, but you could chop it up into little micro videos and have, have text along the bottom. There's just so much you can do with video. And the reason smartphone video is so important is that, like you just said, most people these days have one in their pocket. So it's never been so accessible you know back in the day and really not that long ago you, you needed you know a huge camera you needed a big computer to edit on if you planned on ever broadcasting live you'd literally need a van with a satellite dish <laughs> and now you can do all of that with something that fits in your pocket it's it's truly remarkable so if you are a business or you're in you are looking to promote a product or a service that there really is no better way to do it than with video well, and the smartphones now, the lenses on these things are amazing and the, and the technology, right? The, the ability to actually have all these different lenses, like the one that you and I have and the one that I have, have three camera lenses built into it, right? So you can do wide angle and zoom and all that stuff. And you can edit it with the software that's on the phone, right? Not so long ago, you had to like take the stuff off of the, even with the digital SLR camera, you got to get the video off the phone the camera, I mean, right. And then you got to edit it on a really high end computer. Now you can do the whole darn thing from beginning to end on your phone. Right. Which I think is absolutely amazing. So what I want to talk about from your perspective as a filmmaker, as someone who's worked in television, as someone who's done traditional video and someone who's done a lot of online video, we can learn a lot from you today. And really what I want to talk about today is dig into some of these elements 
Let's start with the actual, before we film a video on our phone, whether we're filming a vertical video for TikTok or Reels or whether we're forming something horizontal that we might want to use on YouTube, what do we need to be thinking about before we actually hit record? Yeah, well, first of all, what I don't want people to think is that they need the latest and greatest iPhone. Yes, it's going to help if you've got, if you've got the latest one. It comes with some incredible features. But if you've got a, a phone that was built in the last, say, three years, chances are it shoots incredible video. So don't need the latest and greatest. Couple things, basics just to cover if you're new to video. Some of you may, may know this already and it may be obvious, but I see a few beginner mistakes when it comes to specifically smartphone videography. Number one is people will go out and plan on shooting. Bearing in mind, let's be honest, smartphones, the battery, it probably only re realistically lasts a day, right? <laughs> if you're right, lucky. Right. <laughs> so the last thing you want to do is to go out on a shoot and have 20% battery. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to last. As soon as you start shooting video, it's going to drain the battery more. So always make sure you've got a full charge on your battery. You can also get a little power bank, that, um, you know, a, a portable power supply. That's going to give you a bit of extra juice if you need it. So make sure you charge your phone. It seems obvious, but I see lots of people make that mistake. On the battery thing, have you found any cool, like I've seen some that clamp onto the back of the phone. I don't know if you have a recommended... I've seen some where you just have a little cord hanging. Like I've done everything because, you know, back when live video was really hot, I was doing a lot of live video, which sucks a lot of energy, obviously, out of the phone because you're live maybe for an hour and your battery could just, you know, so any particular thoughts on battery tech or anything like that? They vary. Honestly, uh, they come in all different shapes and sizes. For me, I personally try to go for one that I can attached to the phone and then easily shoot with some of them are bigger and bulkier and and, and hang down more so not as good but um if you can get one that kind of sort of clamps to the to your phone a little bit more it just means you you haven't got something flapping about on your phone when you're trying to shoot video cool what else do we need to worry about another thing again might seem obvious but phones are different to what i would call a more traditional camera a more traditional camera you put a lens cap on you put it nice and neatly away in your camera bag a phone is in and out of your pocket so it's going to get you know, sticky fingerprints on it. So just give your lens a little wipe before you shoot. Just make sure it's not full of fluff or something. Real quick on the lens. Sure. Does it matter what we wipe it with? I mean, like, does some stuff matter more than others? Should we just use our shirt or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> this is more of a case of do as I say, not as I do. I always use my shirt. When it, when it comes to my smartphone with my, again, my more traditional real camera, you, you know, I've got a little, little micro cloth and that, that does it properly. But with my phone, I'm running gun. I want it to be easy. It's fine. It's fine. Do you need to put any moisture on it before you wipe it down? Is it like sunglasses or do you just like literally just wipe it with just to get yeah, the a little wipe, maybe a little if you yeah. want, if you want to, but um, yeah. okay, cool. give a little wipe. Don't think you need some kind of specialist cloth or anything like that. Okay, cool. You know, your shirt is better than nothing, put it that way. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about the lens and we talked about the batteries. What else were you about to say next? The next thing, and this is a big mistake. Again, I see people make is storage on your phone. Chances are, your phone is going to be used for taking all sorts of pictures and videos throughout your day-to-day -day life. So it's very important to know how much storage you've got on your phone. So if, if you're going to go out and start shooting 4K video, it's going to eat up that storage really quickly. And again, the last thing you want to do is to be out on a shoot and not be able to record video because you don't have any storage on your phone. So check those three things before you hit that record button. Storage battery, clean lens. And a little update for anybody who happens to have an iPhone. I don't know what it's like on Android, but if you pay for that service to back up all the video and the audio and the everything up into the cloud, you're going to have a ton of storage because what it'll do is it'll just show a little preview of it and then it'll free up lots of storage on your phone. But I would imagine if you're going to buy a new phone, you probably ought to consider getting a slightly larger 
storage on the phone if you're going to be doing video, right? Because if you get one of these 32 gigabit phones, that's not going to be en enough, right? Exactly. And again, it, it comes down to the resolution that you're shooting in. We'll go into that in just a second. But 4K versus 1080 HD, for example, 4K is four times the size of HD. So personally, I would recommend, especially if you're first starting out, just to shoot in HD 1080 rather than 4K because it's going to save you a ton of storage on your phone. And it's also going to require less processing power to edit. You know, if you don't have a particularly fast computer or if you're editing on your phone, it may struggle to edit 4K footage compared to 1080 HD. And if we're being really honest, if the majority of your audience are watching that content on a phone, they're not going to be able to tell the difference between 4K and HD on the way. Let's talk about, though, there is an advantage potentially to filming in 4K if you're going to edit on your computer. you want to go ahead and explain what that is? Yeah. So again, it, uh, it depends what you're shooting and what your style is and what your intent for that content is or that footage is. So uh, there's, you know, there's definitely pros to shooting in 4K. It's going to allow you to have much more resolution. The image is going to be cleaner and a little bit crisper. It's going to allow you to crop into that image, for example. So maybe if you're shooting in a, a landscape dimension, but you want to maybe crop more vertically for, for TikTok to repurpose that content, then that's where, when 4K would come in really useful, the ability to crop in the edit. But like I said, it really depends on what you're shooting and what your intent is for that content. Uh, for example, one extreme to another, if you've got minimal storage on your phone, you know you're not going to be repurposing your content, you know that your audience is going to be watching it on a phone, then don't shoot in 4k to shoot in 1080 you may as well just stick to 1080 but yeah if you're repurposing your content you know that people are going to be watching your content on a big 4k monitor or tv and you want the cleanest crispest resolution you can then shoot in 4k yeah for example we record this in 1080p because the technology that we're using is limited to that and when we do cut in on our guests and try to make reels or tiktoks out of it it's not as high a resolution as we would like, you know, and it looks a little bit fuzzy. So it just depends. Like if you, if you're doing this for YouTube, for example, then you probably want to film in 4k is my thinking. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else, um, since we're into the camera now and we're talking about making decisions in the camera outside of the actual resolution, what else should we be thinking about with camera settings on our phone? Camera settings. So we've touched on 4K versus HD. The next one would be, well, there's a couple of things. So are you going to shoot in slow motion, for example, is a, is, is a big question you should ask yourself before you hit that record button. Why would we ever do that? I mean, I'm curious what, what it was. That'd be for action shots, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it depends on your intent for, it depends on what you're shooting and your intent for that content. So if you know, Maybe you're shooting, let, let's come up with a scenario here. Let's say someone doing a huge jump on a motocross bike and you're, you're there shooting on your phone. There's a good chance that that could look great in slow motion, you know, slow that footage down. Uh, in which case I would recommend in shooting in, in slow motion. And again, it depends on what phone you're using, but let's assume that people are using the iPhone. On the iPhone, there is a literal setting, which is slow motion, and that will shoot at 120 frames per second, which means you can slow that footage down to 25% and still get really clean, smooth, slow motion. But if you're not intending on slowing that footage down, then avoid slow motion. Just shoot in 30 frames per second. A really good example of when you might shoot in 30 frames per second would be an interview like this, for example. If we slowed this footage down, all our voices would go like this. <laughs> so we would never slow this down. We would never have any intent to slow this footage down. So, so shoot at 30 frames per second or 24 frames per second. So 
30 or 24 frames per second if you know that you're going to play your footage back in real time. If you think that you might want to slow that footage down, then shoot at a higher frame rate. A higher frame rate would be 60 frames per second, or super slow motion would be 120 frames per second. Let's talk about 60 frames per second because it does look different. It almost looks, when I'm watching 60 frame per second video, it feels different on YouTube than 30 frames per second. Is there a reason why we would want to potentially film in 60 frames per second for most online social stuff? I mean, it does kind of give it more of a like a live feeling. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, they say 24 is the closest frame rate to how we see things oh, in okay. terms of sort of motion blur. So it's, it feels more natural. It feels a bit more cinematic. People like to say it's a cinematic frame rate. But again, 60 frames per second. Personally, I would only ever use that if I was planning on slowing that footage down. So 60 frames per second is a good middle of the road frame rate. It's not super slow motion, yet it's not real time. You've got that option there to slow it down if needed. Let's talk about the lenses because you can control obviously these lenses but most people don't even know that even though there's multiple lenses on here right yeah what should we know about if we have a phone with multiple lenses on it yeah well first of all check your phone and, and see how many lenses you've got you know because you can just look at the front that for those of you that are watching i'm just holding up camera here it's got three lenses those three circles at the front each one of those is a lens so this phone this is the iphone 13 pro max this has three lenses it has the standard lens which is the lens that's been in pretty much every phone ever made. You've then got the ultra wide lens. So now you've got a real, really wide field of view and you've also got the telephoto lens. So this lens allows you to zoom in and they're all great, to be honest. They're a really good range in terms of focal length. You can get super close up, you can get nice and wide. And the iPhone 11, I believe it was, was the first iPhone to release the ultra wide lens. So if you are looking to get any type of iPhone, then I would recommend getting the iPhone 11 or higher. Because if, if you're just limited to the standard lens, you are going to be limited to what you can capture. The standard lens is quite a cropped in tight field of view. But the best way to sort of showcase this would be to try and take a picture of a room. If you try and take a picture of any room with your standard lens, you're not really going to be able to see much. It's too cropped. Whereas if you switch to the ultra wide lens, you'll pretty much be able to see almost 180 degrees. You know, it's a really wide field of view. So big game changer when they introduced that wide angle lens. It was the first camera which didn't have the standard lens. So people started shooting wide and it just gave it a different feel. It didn't feel like smartphone footage anymore. It stood out. On the iPhone, if you start recording, it's going to default you probably to the standard lens, right? It will, yeah. When you zoom in, does it switch to telephoto or does it stick with that lens the whole time when you're actually filming? Yeah, it can do. If you, you can start ultra, wide and kind of with your fingers sort of zoom in and it will go from the wide to the standard into the telephoto. Oh, can you so, go the other direction? Can you make it wider? Do you know if you can actually start with, oh, really? So if you pinch out or you pinch in while you're recording, this is something most people probably don't know. It automatically switches or no? Whilst you're recording, that's a good question, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to test that right now. Yeah. So while you're testing it, you know, like I've done stuff where I'm recording something and I zoom in and I didn't know whether it was a digital zoom or whether it was actually switching lenses while I was doing it. And it sure would be great. You would think Apple was smart enough to to let it do that. So what did you just discover? <laughs> I'm literally recording the screen now with my phone and I'm zooming in. So it doesn't look like actually, if, whilst you're recording, it doesn't look like it's switching. It huh? doesn't look like you can sort of go from the standards to the wide, but obviously. So this is important to think about then. Maybe you might want to be thinking about what lens you want to use when you hit record. 
right? Definitely. I think the, the biggest takeaway here is just to, first of all, just have an awareness that your phone may have more than one lens. Right. And take a look at your phone now. If you've got it in your pocket, pull it out. Count how many cycles are on the front because each one is a lens. And then dive into your, your camera app. And under video, you should have the option to, to change lenses. You'll have a, a 0.5. Again, I'll just hold it up here. Yeah. You have a just over here. Look. For those that aren't watching the video, basically at the bottom on an iPhone, at least it's got just above the recording buttons. It's got three different numbers, 0.5, 1, and I think 2 or something like that. And you can just switch between them. Exactly. So, so experiment with each, you know, before you're going to go on a shoot or you're going to hit record, just play around with those lenses and, and see what focal length works best for that shot that you're looking to capture. Let's talk about lighting because obviously you have a film background. You understand the importance of lighting, but most people don't. So what do we need to know? What are a couple of quick tips for lighting? So the first thing is, is that smartphones generally don't perform well in low light situations. Low light could even just be considered indoors. The problem with these smartphones is that the sensors are quite small, so they do struggle in low light. And when I say struggle, what you'll find will happen is that the image will start to go grainy, or what they call digital noise. And that's definitely something you want to avoid in, in any type of video. So the, the key is just to make sure that you're in a well-lit area. But don't think, again, you have to go out and spend a ton of money on professional studio lights. It could be as simple as just going and shooting next to a window and using natural daylight. Softer light is always better, a bit more complementary on your face. So rather than direct, harsh sunlight, if you can diffuse it in some way, that's going to help and give you a much softer look to your image. But yeah, definitely try and light your videos if you can. Like I said, daylight is great because it's free. But even a, you know, a $50 cheap studio light that you could pick up on Amazon is better than no light. I started my YouTube channel literally using $40, $50 studio lights, and they lasted me for a good few years. So you really don't need to break the bank when it comes to lighting and, and video just as long as you are lighting yourself or your subject in some way. So let's talk about what happens once we hit record. You know, we've talked about picking the lens and getting the light in a good situation and making sure the lens is clean and we have decent amount of battery and storage on the phone. But like once we hit record, there's some things that you might want to share. Like what are some tips about actually making good video once you've actually or you're about to hit that darn record button because, you know, the smallest little things can make the biggest difference, obviously, right? They really can with video. My, my aim is always to help people get a more professional look and try to avoid that amateur vibe. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, and it's just because they don't know how to do it or they don't know that this setting exists, but before you hit record, lock your focus and exposure. And you can do that by simply just tapping on your focal point and holding. And you'll, you'll notice that a yellow box will appear on your screen. Again, we're talking about the iPhone here. When you say focal point, most people don't even know what that means. So what do you mean by tapping on your focal point? So your subject. So if you're filming a person, just tap and hold the screen on, on the person, and then it will lock focus and exposure to that person. So if the lighting were to change or anything like that, the reason you would do this is you want to avoid an exposure change mid-shot. So a really good example of this would be, let's say you were in a, inside in a, in a darkish room and you were walked outside. If you haven't locked your exposure, that thing will happen where when you walk outside, everything's kind of white and you've lost all the detail and then it slowly kind of finds its exposure. That's what you want to avoid because that looks amateur. Okay, so just to clarify then, if we are filming ourselves and maybe we're using a selfie stick or maybe we're just using our hand, we should lock the focal point on our face, especially if we're moving, right? As long as the lighting isn't going to change. So there's, 
you know, you've got manual focus and you've got autofocus. So or, there's definitely a time and a place for autofocus. I don't want you to think that you should never be shooting in autofocus. So if you're walking, for example, and you know you're going to be going from shaded areas to, to bright areas, then I would actually recommend just staying in auto mode and not locking your focus and exposure because the lighting's going to change so much. If you've locked it, it's either going to be too dark or too bright at certain times. And depending on your phone again, you know, the latest phones are great. The iPhone 14 has just been released. I haven't managed to get my hands on it yet, but the auto focus and exposure in that is fantastic. It looks amazing. It's able to now handle these going from a darker environment to a more brighter environment and then gradually changing that exposure. But again, it will depend on what phone you have. Some phones will struggle more than others. If the lighting isn't going to change, I highly recommend that people lock their focus and exposure. A, a quick example of this is that what I like to do is something called a reveal shot, where I, let's say I'm shooting a location and I want to establish that location. A little trick I'll often do is I'll have my camera behind, say, a wall, and then I will slowly reveal from behind the wall to reveal my location. And what I want to do is lock that exposure because what I don't want is a horrible exposure change as I go from behind the wall to reveal the location. So I would always lock my... Uh, because it would be focused on the wall instead of the yeah, actual it, thing. Exactly. It would focus on the wall. It would be exposed for the wall. I would then reveal my location and then it would hunt for focus for a little while. The exposure would be overexposed and then it would find its exposure and it would be really distracting and look really amateur. But if you lock your focus and exposure, it just looks clean, crisp, no exposure change, no focus change, and it just looks much more professional. I love that. Let's talk about movement and stabilization and stuff, because obviously nobody wants to watch a video where you're shaking all over the place, right? So, but that's going to happen if you're filming it yourself, right? So do you have any tips on how we can be smoother when we're filming or what, especially if we're in motion? Yeah. I mean, again, we're talking a general rule here. There's definitely, again, a time and a place for shaky video. I don't know if any of you have seen the Bourne films. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're all shot handheld and it's shaky and there's punches being thrown everywhere and it it works for that style of film. But generally speaking, you want to keep your camera movement smooth and steady. And the good news is that image stabilization on phones these days is absolutely phenomenal. Again, the new iPhone 14, even the iPhone 13 Pro Max that I've got, if you walk relatively steadily, it will look as though it's shot on a gimbal. The image stabilization is mind-blowing. But again, it depends on what phone you have. You may not have the latest iPhone. You may not have the best image stabilization. If you have, great. You can shoot handheld and get really nice, smooth video. Let's assume we don't have the advantage of a gimbal. Do you have any tips on how to like move around and keep the camera steady? Like, have you learned, do you have to walk differently? Do you understand what I'm asking? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I like to do something what they call the ninja walk, which is basically walking heel toe, heel toe, knee slightly bent. That's just going to reduce the impact of you walking. You know, the impact of you walking is ultimately going to come up your legs, up your body, down your arms and shake, and shake your camera. So it's just the best way to describe how to walk with your phone is a bit like imagine you're carrying a hot cup of coffee that you really don't want to spill. Ah, without a lid. <laughs> without a lid. Yeah. You're kind of, you're walking along like that and it's filled to the brim. You can do it. You can definitely reduce your impact by, by doing the ninja walk. If you're just walking around like this, coffee's going to fly everywhere. Apply that to your smartphone footage and you'll get a much smoother shot. And then let's talk about what gimbals are and we can buy them. Like, why would we want them? What's your thoughts on that? Ultimately, a gimbal's job is to capture smooth camera movement, nice, smooth, steady. It's, it's, a, it's a camera stabilizer. And you may or may not need one. It depends, again, on what you're shooting. In fact, I shot a video this week called Gimbal versus Handheld, where I go out onto a location and I shoot two sequences, 
one shot completely handheld and one shot using a gimbal. And we, we go shot for shot and we compare, you know, is there a difference? And spoiler alert, there's not much of a difference. <laughs> were you shooting with your phone or were you shooting? I mean, were you shooting with? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Shooting completely handheld with a phone versus shooting that same phone on a gimbal. And again, not to give too much away because this video hasn't come out yet, but um, it's amazing what's possible shooting handheld, especially with how good the image stabilization is in the latest iPhones. But if you don't have a phone with great image stabilization, this is where a gimbal might come in useful. If you're just not happy with how smooth your footage is looking and it's all shaky and you've tried your hardest to shoot handheld, but you just can't get it looking nice and smooth, then that's where a gimbal would come in. And also, a gimbal does make it a bit more comfortable to shoot. It's a bit safer to shoot using a gimbal. So one of the challenges I set myself while shooting this video was to get a shot of the camera just hovering above a river, pushing forward. Yeah, you were concerned you might drop it. <laughs> and shoot, shooting that handheld was really ropey. I had to check the insurance on my phone before I did that one because <laughs> <laughs> I, I came very close to dropping that in the river. Whereas with a gimbal, you're, you're able to get it into more awkward positions much easier, and it's much easier to hold. So you're a little less worried about dropping your phone when you use a gimbal. So you have to sort of weigh it up, I guess. You know, are you unhappy with how smooth your footage is looking? Especially if you're on long shoots, a gimbal will come in useful. Well, and some have batteries built into them too, which is kind of a double win. Now, I've got a question for you. When people are doing vertical selfie videos for like Reels and TikTok and stuff, do you have any recommendations on where they should hold the camera? Above them, flat on, below them. I mean, like, you know, there's all sorts of, what's a simple tip on how to frame up yourself before you hit record? There's a number of different ways to look at this. Your camera angle is actually surprisingly important, whether that's consciously or subconsciously. People will look at uh, the same shot from a different camera angle quite differently. So you see this a lot in, in big feature films. If you want someone to look big and intimidating, dramatic or scary, you tend to shoot them at a low angle looking up because they appear more intimidating. It's a little Hollywood camera trick. The same again, if you want, to look, want someone to look sort of small and weak, you'll shoot from a high angle looking down to make them look very small. The same can be applied to your video content. Again, generally, it's a more flattering look from a higher angle because people are kind of looking up, their eyes are more open. You can't see up their nostrils. If you, their double you know. chin disappears, right? Exactly. We've all seen that horrendous shot of ourselves when we're on our phone and we put our camera app on and we've realized we're in selfie mode and we go, we're horrified. So yeah, generally speaking, a, a low angle isn't as flattering as one looking down slightly. And I'm not saying look, look up to the sky, I just mean just tilt your head up a little bit. What about eye contact with the lens? What's your thoughts on that? It's very difficult, and I'm actually struggling today for those that you're watching. It's very hard to look straight at the lens, I find. Right. And I've been doing this for years. It's particularly distracting if you can see yourself or another person on the screen. You sort of naturally look at them, right? It's very hard to just look down at the lens. Is it important to look at the lens is the bigger question I'm asking, you know? Definitely, 100%. It can be distracting to your viewer if your eye line is off a little bit. It's a bit more engaging if you're looking directly into the camera because it's ultimately you're making eye contact with that person. But it does depend on what you're shooting. If you're talking to camera, definitely look into the camera. It might be that you know, someone's interviewing off to one, one side. So if you're talking to someone else, you can get away with your eye line being off to one side rather than straight down the barrel of the gun. You know, it's funny because when you're in selfie mode and you're looking at yourself and you're talking, it's almost as if we want to talk to ourselves instead of to the lens. 
and the lens is kind of hidden on the front of the camera. You don't, sometimes you don't even remember where it is. You know, I'm almost wondering whether we should just cover up the front of the phone and not even see ourselves. You know what I mean? What are your thoughts on that? That was a really good question, by the way. And this is definitely worth mentioning. I should have mentioned it earlier, but very importantly, again, iPhones, the best camera, the best lens is the one facing away from you. Ah, the back of your phone. Right. The, the selfie camera is a, a lower resolution. It's just not as good as what, what we call the main camera on the front there. And this applies to all iPhones, even the latest one. The back camera is always better than the, the portrait one. So if your aim is to get the best looking video possible, then flip your phone around when you're in selfie mode and take it with the back facing camera. That does two things. Number one, it gets you a better looking image because you're using a better camera, but also it prevents you from looking at yourself because there's no screen. You're looking at the back of your phone now rather than the front of it. So I like that. I like that. You know, what about airplane mode? I, we didn't even think about this. These are phones. I mean, when you're in record mode, what if a phone call comes in? I mean, is that even an option or what happens? <laughs> yeah, it can be. A, I've learned the hard way. I now have two phones because I, I need one whilst I'm shooting and I need one to be able to take calls and send messages on. And my, my phone kept dying when I was shooting video. So I, I've solved the problem by getting two phones. But obviously, people might not want to do that. They might just be working with that one phone. Sometimes you may be forced to put your phone in airplane mode to save battery. That is a, a great way to save battery on your phone is to switch it to airplane mode. So if you're out on a shoot and you've got no power supply, maybe your power bank's dried up, you've still got 20 minutes worth of shooting left and you're down to 20% on your phone. One of the best things you could do in that situation would be to flip your phone into airplane mode. It's going to give you much longer runtime on that phone than what it would be if you didn't. So airplane mode can come in really useful, but then obviously it limits the calls and the messages that you can receive. So you have to weigh up what's more important to you at that time. Do you want calls or do you want to get your shoot done, you know? Okay, this is a crazy question, but I know you probably have the answer. If you're using the back of the phone, do you recommend mirroring the video to uh, some other device, a computer or whatever, so you can frame yourself? Because if you don't know where you're framing yourself. You know what I mean? Like it might be a better lens, but it might turn out you just did a great video, but you accidentally weren't even in frame. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Can you get devices that will attach to it so you can see a little version of yourself and get yourself positioned? Or is that not necessary with a, with a phone? Yeah, there's a few things you can do. I actually bought a product a while ago, actually. And uh, the default sort of solution to that problem is some kind of monitor, right? So you plug in a monitor. Okay, now you can see yourself. And I forget what company this was, but they came up with a really clever idea of actually, it doesn't need to be a monitor. It just needs to be a mirror. It just needs to reflect what's on the screen. So I don't have it here with me, but it basically attached to the phone. So now you're looking at the back ah, of your phone. You can't see yourself. Okay. And then it had a, a very uniquely angled mirror that attached to the back, which then reflected the screen on the other side. So, and it was really cheap. It cost about, 15 or 20 dollars because it was a mirror rather than a monitor well if you're able to email me that we can try to get that in the show notes because i think people would be if, if you think you have access to it yeah it's a, it's a great budget way to be able to see yourself while still using that that good camera. i love that okay let's talk about audio clearly audio is really really important and i don't know which is one side better than the other side as far as filming audio whether you're front facing or you're rear facing with the audio yeah, well, first thing I would say is that audio is as important as the visual. People quite often, you know, they, they, it's almost a last thought, isn't it, audio? Okay, I've, it looks great. Oh, yeah, the audio, right? And people will be forgiving with a lower resolution video, but if the audio is bad, you're going to lose them 100%. They, they just won't continue to watch. So it's really, really important that you get a nice, clean, crisp audio. The microphone on the iPhones is actually 
pretty good, but you do have to be in the right environment. The right environment is just essentially out of the wind. It will not cope with any type of wind. You'll get that really horrible, nasty, distorted sound if you're in any wind. So if you're inside, the internal microphone on, on the phone is actually really good, but you do have to treat the microphone on your phone as an actual microphone. And you want to get that as close as you can to your subject, especially if you're interviewing someone. There's no good holding your phone out in front of you and then having your subject 10 feet away. The, the audio is just going to sound terrible. So try and get your phone as close as you can to that person without it being too in their face. Try and find an environment that isn't loud with lots of background noise and definitely don't be anywhere where there's any type of wind because uh, it's not going to end well. Where's the audio coming in from too? Because we don't want to accidentally cover up the audio source, right? Is it coming from a hole next to the lenses? Is that generally how it works? Yeah. Again, it, it will depend on um, what you've got, but just at the bottom of the phone here next to the charger, you've got speakers and a microphone. So yeah, do, just do be mindful of you know covering up any what looks like holes or speakers or microphone or anything like that when, when you're shooting video. Yeah, generally they, they are quite clever. Apple put them in places where you're sort of least likely to, to, to cover them up with your fingers. But yeah, the internal microphone is good because it's inbuilt. It comes with the phone, but just make sure that it is nice and close to your subject, especially if you're interviewing them. If you're taking things a bit more seriously when it comes to video, let's say, for example, you're shooting an event and there's lots of background noise and you've got someone that you'd like to say a piece to camera, maybe you want them to sort of walk across the room at an event whilst they're talking, you know, <laughs> taking things to the next level, trying to get a really professional shot. Then there's definite solutions to that problem. Don't use the internal microphone on your phone because you won't be able to hear them. Um, I'd recommend getting a wireless microphone and you can literally just clip these onto someone's collar. They're completely wireless. And then you can uh, attach a little transmitter, just it plugs into the charging port of your phone, very small, very discreet. And then that will allow you to pick up that person's audio up to about 20 meters away. And it'll be clean and it'll be crisp and they can get close to the camera, walk further away, but their audio will remain the same. The, the volume of their voice will remain the same and it'll be clean and crisp, which is super important. What are your thoughts on uh, DJI's mic versus Rode's mic? Have you experimented with both of them? Because I've got friends who swear by both of them, you know, that say they're absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, I, I, I've never used the DJI one, so I can't say good or bad about that, but I have used the Rode Wireless Go and that is my go-to microphone. This isn't sponsored. I bought it with my own money and it, it's never let me down. It's it's not the cheapest, but for me, it's the most reliable. Like I said, it's never let me down. An incredible range on that thing, but it does cost, we'll have to check, but it's somewhere upwards of maybe $200 or $150 or something. So it's not the cheapest, but there are cheaper alternatives out there. The one that I was talking about just a minute ago, I've got it here actually, it comes in a little case for those of you that are watching. You've got this little bit here, this little transmitter plugs into the phone and then Again, very small, very discreet. These are just, there's a little clip and it just clips on and you're going to get clean, crisp audio. And you can get these for about 40 or $50. So again, you don't need to break the bank with this stuff. Is that the Rode Wireless Go or is that something else? No, this is something else. This is by a company called Ulanzi. They make this here, little wireless system. Let's spell the name. It's U-L-A-N-Z-I and this is the J12. Real quick on the DGI, my friend Cliff Ravenscraft, who is definitely an audio snob, you know, he's formerly known as the podcast answer man. He's recently got the DGI mic, which is about $329 US. And it does come with a dead cat, which 
is good for outdoors for people that don't know a dead cat is essentially a bunch of fuzz that covers up the wind, you know, but he loves it. And it comes with two, just like the one that Steve just showed us. So you could actually do interviews, I would imagine with it. And it will all somehow go back to the source on the phone. Is that how that one works that you just were talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Completely wireless solution to your audio problem, which, which will be uh, like I said, you don't want people too far away. You don't want a wind distortion. Dead cat was a, a really good tip as well. Yeah, those those little fluffy things that you attach to microphones. If you are in a really bad situation where it's super windy, those things will definitely, definitely help. They're just not attractive, obviously. They look really weird. It's going to look like you have like a fuzzy thing hanging off your shirt. <laughs> They're hard to hide those things, but um, it's better than terrible audio. I'd much rather see someone with a dead cat and have clean, crisp audio than without and it just be awful. Well, Steve, I know we've just scratched the surface of the insights that are in your brain. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for answering all these questions and giving all sorts of insights and wisdom to our listeners. If people want to discover more about you and the great things you've got going on, where would you like to send them? Head over to YouTube, Learn Online Video. I have over 100 videos there dedicated to helping you make better videos, everything from smartphone filmmaking, editing tips, the lot. Yeah, that is the best place to find me. And if people want to reach out to you on any particular social platform, do you have a preferred platform or is it YouTube only? Yeah, feel free to reach out anyone that wants to get in touch. Instagram, I'm probably most active there. Well, most active on YouTube. That's where I, I post regularly. But um, yeah, in terms of messaging um, and getting in contact, then Instagram is a good place to do that. And what is the uh, Instagram account if they want to search for it? Same again, at Learn Online Video. At Learn Online Video. Steve Wright, spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your insights with us. We're way better because of it. You are very welcome, Mike. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 532. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you do me a favor? Would you let your friends know about this show? Or just let me know what you think. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.